Jesus, thank you for church, and thank you for these folks being here. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus chapter 6, verse 28 through 7, 7. Now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything you, I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of this country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old, Aaron was 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. brother and it's great to be here with you this morning and study God's word together we're so glad you're worshiping with us today and I want to invite you to join me in Exodus chapter 6 this morning as we continue our study of this book and continue to see the mighty ways in which God is at work among his people in delivering them the last couple of weeks we've gotten to hear some uh, powerful stories about God's deliverance and God's power to intervene and to rescue and to bring hope and strength and healing in the midst of difficult times. And as we, as we continue to study the book of Exodus, we're going to see this over and over and over again, God's might and God's power to deliver. And today we're looking at this thought of a hard heart and a mighty hand. And what we're going to see here in the book of Exodus, and particularly this passage, and as we get ready to go into the, the plagues next week, we're going to see um, this concept over and over again of Pharaoh's heart being hard. Um, yesterday, my wife, actually, I think it was Friday night, but yesterday I got to eat them. Uh, my wife made some chocolate chip cookies, and they were... They were perfect. They were perfectly soft. Like, they just, you know, just melted in your mouth. They were incredible. They're the way that chocolate chip cookies are meant to be made. Now, I've heard, I'm not going to do a show of hands because we're not here to shame this morning, but there's some monsters who like crunchy cookies, hard cookies, like stale cookies. You didn't have to raise your hand. I didn't, that's okay. I, I, don't, I don't understand that. Th that's what happens to a soft cookie when it gets stale, when it's old, is it gets hard. Now, some of you may contend that you're like, well, you dip them in milk. Yeah, yeah. so that you can make them soft. <laughs> soft is the way to go. <laughs> We're going to see here that the Bible agrees with me today. That, that 
I may be taking this a little out of context, but we're going to see that Pharaoh's hard heart is a real problem. Just like hard cookies are a problem, Pharaoh's hard heart is, a, is an issue that stands out throughout this, uh, this text and the narrative that we're going to see over the, unfold over the next couple of weeks. But I want to just sort of catch us up because there's a, a little bit that we're going to be jumping past just because of the, for time's sake, as I mentioned at the outset of our series, we're not doing a verse-by-verse study of, of Exodus. And so we left off last week at the end of chapter 3 and uh, Moses ready to, to go forth with God's power, but we saw that he's a little bit nervous, uh, not a little really unsure about his speaking abilities, and so God's going to tell him in chapter 4 that Aaron will be his spokesman, and uh, God also tells him that he's going to give him some signs to authenticate the message, the, the staff turning into a snake, the hand going into his cloak that comes out leprous, uh, and yet he tells him, listen, even that's not going to be enough to convince Pharaoh but I still want you to go. So we, we see then in uh, chapter 4, middle of chapter 4, that Moses returns to Egypt. Remember, he's still been working as a shepherd in the wilderness. Uh, by this time, uh, uh, Steve, the last verse that Steve read there pointed this out, that, that Moses is 80, Aaron is 83. Just a little reminder that we're, we're never too old to be used by God. And, and also, just so you know, like Mo- Moses is really just starting his public ministry, and he's 80. He's 80. Like sometimes, we, we did touch on this last week, but sometimes God needs to take us through a, a lot of pruning and a lot of work in our hearts to get us to the place where we're ready to be used by Him. Just know that God's a lot more patient with us than we often are with ourselves. God, God doesn't work according to our timetable. And then as we move through chapter 4, we see Moses and Aaron reunite and sit down for a meeting with the elders of Israel to let them know what God's up to. And and it says in chapter 4, verse 31, the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had paid attention to them and that he had seen their misery, they knelt low and worshipped. So they're excited. In the beginning of chapter 5, though, Moses and Aaron come before Pharaoh for the very first time, and Pharaoh just blows them off. He says in verse 2, I don't know the Lord. Besides, I'm not going to let Israel go. And so we begin to see the, the hard heart of Pharaoh in action and being lived out. And furthermore, as the chapter goes on in chapter 5, we see Pharaoh buckling down. He's angry that they've requested to go out and worship. And so he makes the Israelites' life harder by requiring the same quota of bricks, only not giving them straw this time. And so chapter 5 is, is the story of the people like, uh, being forced to work harder and the people coming to Moses and being like, look what you did. You made our life even worse. Like, you were supposed to be here to deliver us and now things are even worse for us. And Moses goes to the Lord and is like, come on, help me out here. And the Lord replies to Moses in chapter 6, verse 1. I love this. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of a strong hand, he will let them go. And because of a strong hand, he will drive them from his land. And that's foreshadowing what's going to happen here in a few chapters. And so we come to this story. And once again, I just want to remind you that that we're going to see some of these same themes reoccur throughout the book of Exodus. In fact, Exodus is very much like this, but not just Exodus. The whole Old Testament, we see reoccurring themes that come back over and over and over again. Themes of of God's power, themes of God honoring faith, um, themes of, uh, of, of... the consequences of rebellion and disobedience. 
Uh, we, need, we need to have things repeated to us. We're not any different today than they were back then. There needs to be a, a constantly reminding and a rekindling of the nature and the, the heart of God and the ways of God. So now as we come to this story, I want to just take some time this morning to talk a little bit about Pharaoh's hard heart. Because you can't read through this story without seeing it over and over and over again. And there's a lot of questions about it because, uh, as you're going you're gonna to notice, the terminology and the language with which the author of Exodus refers to the hardness of Pharaoh's heart, is, is, it varies. And here's where the, the struggle comes in. Because there are some times that we see um, in, in several places where it says, where God specifically says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Chapter 4, verse 21 says, um, when you go back to Egypt, the Lord instructed Moses, when you go back to Egypt, make sure you do before Pharaoh all the wonders that I've put within your power, but I will harden his heart so that he won't let the people go. And so you read that and you think, what's going on? Is, is God imposing his will upon Pharaoh? Is Pharaoh, Pharaoh's uh, own free will out of the picture here? Furthermore, at times in the, the text will also indicate that, that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh, sort of going along with the first one. But then, other times it sounds a little bit more passive. Um, it'll say Pharaoh's heart was hardened. We're going to see that in a number of times throughout the plagues. And then, there are at least three instances where it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. Now, when we read texts like this, our, our minds can begin to go up in smoke. What, what, what's happening here? Is God saying, Pharaoh, I'm, you're just a puppet in my hand, and I'm going to do with you what I want? Or, or is, is Pharaoh the one that's making the choice, and uh, God's, God's just kind of going along with what Pharaoh has decided to do? The, the text really brings together several different tenses and, and actors here with regards to what's happening in Pharaoh's heart. Sometimes we want to separate God from these sorts of theological conundrums. So we'll say things like, well, Pharaoh hardened his heart first, and God just let him go the way he wanted to. That God, God, as one writer says, hardens those who harden themselves. But that doesn't really capture the full picture that the text gives us. As we already saw, there are verses that explicitly said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. In fact, the first mentioning of Pharaoh's hardened heart there in Exodus 4, 21, is God saying, I'm going to do this. So what are we talking about here? Well, first of all, the, the Hebrew means simply to, to make stubborn. In, in the Hebrew way of thinking, the heart refers to the mind and the, the, really the entire inner life of a person. Within the context of this story, references to Pharaoh's heart are, are concerned with his, his choices in his inner nature. When the narrator speaks of Pharaoh's heart being strengthened or hardened or made heavy, this is, this is referring to his will. Well, what does this tell us about Pharaoh? First of all, it tells us that Pharaoh was a sinner. In chapter 9, verse 34, it says, uh, right after one of the plagues, it said, he sinned again and hardened his heart. Pharaoh was set against God. Pharaoh, in fact, was considered a deity by his people. He was considered a god. And Pharaoh was like, who? that's why he replied to, to Moses at the beginning of chapter 5, I don't know this God. Who is he that's coming to me and telling me what to do? I'm a god. 
He needs to listen to me. You come in here with this unknown deity? We're Egyptians. We know the deities. We know who the gods are. I don't know who your God is. And so we see here that Pharaoh has, a, has this, this, well, literally, he has a God complex. He, he believes himself to be a deity. But in this passage, and in these passages, as we walk through here, we learn a lot about God. These, these verses and the story that we're going to continue to unfold tells us a great deal about God. But as we combine these passages, one of the things that we see is that God is the one that rules, not Pharaoh. God is the one who rules not Pharaoh. As we mentioned, the Egyptian Pharaoh was supposed to be this, this manifestation of, of deity. And the idea that God could do, the, that one true God could do whatever he wanted with Pharaoh's heart was, was a slap in the face to the Egyptians. And what this story will real, remind us is that God can do what God wants. And what he's telling us is that, in effect, each time God is, Yahweh is described as hardening Pharaoh's heart, it's, it's reminding us that Yahweh had, as it were, weighed Pharaoh and found him wanting. It also reminds us, as we talked about a few weeks ago, that God is at work accomplishing his sovereign purposes. There is always, there's always things happening behind the scenes that we don't understand, that we can't see, and that we can't really explain and wrap our mind around. You see, to the Hebrew way of thinking, these verses that some say, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Some of these verses say, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. To the Hebrew way of thinking, that, that's not a problem. For us in our Western linear thinking, where we want, like, it's, things got to be black or white, we're not really comfortable with both of those phrases being reiterated and held up. But to the Hebrew mind, that, that, was, that was not a problem. What we see here is that God is at work accomplishing his will. In fact, you can turn there if you want. I, I, didn't, I didn't put this one on the screen. But in, in chapter 9, verse 16, Exodus 9, 16, God says this. I have let you, he says this to Pharaoh. I have let you live for this purpose, to show you my power. And to make my name known on the whole earth. Wow. Now, let's calm down because our, our hearts, at least I don't know about you, but like initially like I read that and be like, but that's not fair that, that you made Pharaoh for a purpose such as this. Come on, God. Like, like let him do his own thing and then let the chips fall where they, they be. But when we read scripture, we see this sort of thing happen time and time again. Where God says, I'm going to raise this person up. And they have one job here. And their life is going to glorify my name. And we try to find ways around some of these things. But just stop for a second and remember that you have a God who is big enough to accomplish his purposes. I, I know I've said this before, but I forget it. So I'm, I'm just going to repeat it at least for my sake. There's no situation that we come across today, tomorrow, or ever where God is not there and at work and involved 
in some way that we cannot see. And that is not just theology that sits up in the ivory towers that's like, wow, we're getting kind of metaphysical and, and, and this is like, what does that mean for me? Like, this is, this is real life God being involved in your life and mine. Not just in general and broad brushstrokes, but God is at work in the things, the choices that you'll make today, tomorrow, this week, good, bad, or otherwise, to accomplish His purposes. This is not a standalone concept that we find just here in a verse or two in Exodus. Do you remember that story in the Gospel of John where the disciples are kind of talking amongst themselves and, and there was this there's this blind guy, and the text tells us that he'd been blind from birth. His entire life, up into adulthood, he was blind. And the disciples have a theological question that's kind of gnawing at him, and finally one of them works up the courage to ask Jesus, okay, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now that question might seem kind of silly to us today if he was born blind and has been blind since birth, like how could he have sinned and caused that? But I think that they actually had a theological category that like he may have sinned in utero or something and brought this upon himself. And the disciples wanted to know whose fault was it? Because their grid, their, their framework was bad stuff happens, you had to have done something wrong. That was their framework. And do you remember Jesus' reply? He said, nobody. This man was born blind so that the works of God could be shown in his life. Now sit with that for a second. How many times during that man's childhood, his teen years, his young adult years, had he asked the question, why did I have to be born blind? Why did I have these disadvantages? How many times had his parents pled for God to heal him. You have a, an entire man's life who had been shaped because God said, one day you are going to encounter Jesus Christ and his works will be shown in his mighty power to heal you and deliver you. My brothers and sisters, let's remember that we have a sovereign God who is doing things that we can't see and we can't understand. And I don't think it's wrong for us to pray and say, God, would you help me understand this? Would you give me a little glimpse as to what you're up to and allowing this to happen? This sickness, this conflict, this whatever it is. I don't think it's wrong to pray that. But just know that God's not beholden to give us an answer. And often he does not. And we rest and sit in his grace and say, okay, I'm going to trust you even though I don't understand this. We're reminded that God is at work accomplishing his sovereign purposes. In fact, these, these verses also remind us that God can do whatever he pleases. In Daniel 4.35, we see that Nebuchadnezzar offered this word of praise to God. He said, all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? That verse could be a commentary on what's happening here in Exodus over the next few chapters. As God, God's hands at work bringing about the deliverance of his people. 
In fact, in Romans chapter 9, and, and there's so much that we could unpack here, but he, the Apostle Paul actually brings up this story of Pharaoh's hardness of heart in Romans 9. He says, what should we say then? Is there injustice with God? Absolutely not. For he tells Moses, I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it does not depend on human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. For the scripture tells Pharaoh, I raised you up for this reason, so that I may display my power in you, and that my name may be proclaimed in the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. I don't pretend to understand all the ins and outs of that. I don't. But we're just reminded here that God is far bigger than any of us realize. And that God is in the midst of even the most difficult circumstances and situations accomplishing his will. Some of us want to hunker down and say, yeah, but what about free will? What about me being able to do what I want to do? Here's, here's the situation. Like, do you want, if you were an Israelite, you've been enslaved, enslaved for 400 years. Do you want Pharaoh to have the last say? <laughs> do, do you really want Pharaoh to get his way? If you're in that situation, you want a God who is sovereign and mighty enough to bring about that deliverance, whatever that takes. And that's exactly what's going to happen. These kinds of passages remind us that God's ways are a mystery to us. While we can't figure it out, there are certain things that we, we can say because other scripture tells us that God's not the author of evil. That's really important to remember. God did not make Pharaoh do anything that Pharaoh didn't want to do. Pharaoh, that's why I think the text tells us that there's a, there's a sovereign aspect of God's sovereignty saying, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And then there's, there's Pharaoh's own sinful inclinations that say that he's doing it. He's the one hardening his heart. Pharaoh did what he wanted to do at the end of the day. And how all this works with God's sovereignty, I don't know. It's a mystery to me. But for me, I, I'm not inclined to, to try to hurt my brain trying to parse out all the details. I just, I just think that God wants us to step back in these kind of moments and say, our God is far bigger than any kind of box I can put him in. He's doing things that I can't explain. He's up to things that I can't figure out, that I can't articulate, that my theology doesn't... doesn't doesn't spell out word for word. At the end of Romans chapter 11, Paul, the apostle, I didn't write it down, so I have to turn to this, says what I think that we're all supposed to do when we encounter these mighty and mysterious ways of God. This is Paul's little worship song. Oh, the depths of the riches and of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who's ever been his counselor? Who's ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, 
Theology should always lead us to a place of worship. When we encounter deep mysteries about the character and the ways of God, it should stir our heart to worship. Not to, not to be more self-confident or proud or, or even dig down to try, to try to figure it out. The mightiness, the sovereignty of God should lead us to a place of worship. But we also see in this text not only the hardness of Pharaoh's heart, but we see the mighty hand of God. If you're, I don't know where, actually where you are in your Bibles right now, but if you go back to Exodus 6, this is Moses coming back to the Lord after Pharaoh has blown him off for the first time. And God says to him in verse 6, Tell the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God who's brought you out of the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Do you hear the certainty in the voice of God here? You've got this deity, this guy who claims to be deity, this mighty ruler in Egypt. And Moses comes back to Yahweh, the God of Israel, and he's like, I don't know. And God says, no, maybe you didn't hear me. I'm going to do this. I'm not dependent upon how Pharaoh's responding or how Pharaoh feels or whether it's going to hurt his feelings that I'm, I'm coming to do this. I will. If you're a Bible underliner, go through that passage again and see how many times, circle how many times God uses those phrases, I will, I am, I have. And what's great here is if you notice, if your Bibles, uh, most of your Bibles will capitalize the word Lord there. That's Yahweh. That's the, the great I am who encountered Moses back in chapter 3. It's really interesting. Up until chapter 3, we, we see the name Elohim for God which is the mighty one. And it's a beautiful name. It's a powerful name. But when we encounter God in chapter 3, as we said last week, it's the personal name of God. And it carries with it the, the idea of God's presence, God's nearness. And so every time God's using his personal name in this passage, he's reminding him, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to be right there beside you the entire way. I am the one who is beside you. I am the one who is going to do this mighty thing, but know that you have my presence all the way through. My brothers and sisters, when we cry out to God and we need his work in our life, when we're trusting him to intervene, know that we have his presence in the midst of all of that hardship. God wanted them to be reminded that he was a God who was there. Verse 5 says, I've heard the groanings of the Israelites, and I have remembered my covenant. Our God is a God who listens. Our God is a God who is present. Our God is a God who is mighty to act. And that's what we see then as we come into chapter 7, which our brother read for us. 
chapter 7, verse 3. God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh will not listen to you, but I will put my hand into Egypt and bring the military divisions of my people, the Israelites, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. My brothers and sisters, I don't know where your heart is this morning. But like Pharaoh, like the Israelites, like Moses and Aaron, we all need to remember that our God is the Lord. Our God has a mighty hand to intervene in whatever situation we're in. And the temptation, though, for some of us can be to harden our hearts. We, 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 we don't really believe that God can show up. We don't really believe that God can intervene. And so we, like Pharaoh, can hunker down, disbelieve God. You see, Pharaoh is not the only one whose heart can be hardened towards the things of God. Scripture tells us that the unbeliever is in a natural state of animosity towards God. Their heart, like Pharaoh, is hardened. But even for Christians, we can get to a place where our heart, our heart gets, gets calloused. Maybe we see things happening in the world around us. Maybe we've experienced things in our own life, and we can begin to think, God, come on, I deserve better than this. Why did you let that happen to them? They're great people. And we can easily begin to find ourselves slipping into this place that's very Pharaoh-like. None of us here likes that. None of us want to think of ourselves as, as overlapping with this like arch enemy of the Bible here, this arch enemy of God, this, this, this wicked ruler. We want to think that we're way, way, way better. We're way different. But the reality is that there are times that we harden our heart against the things that God is trying to tell us, the things that God is trying to teach us, the, the, the changes that God is calling us to make, the, the, the acts of faith that we're called to be stepping out in. And the reality is that we can, too, like Pharaoh, harden our heart. I, I just I wrote down five signs of a hard heart. The first one is a disregard for God. Pharaoh said in Exodus 5, 2, Who's the Lord that I should obey him? I don't know the Lord. Listen, my, my brothers and sisters, just because we're believers doesn't mean that we can't begin to develop a disregard for God. It starts by ignoring his word. Seeing prayer is incidental to my life. It's easy to fall into a place where God's not at the forefront of my mind. His word, his ways, and certainly the Son of God can be pushed to the side and we're all of a sudden kind of, ah, who's the Lord anyway? Another sign of a hard heart is it being dismissive towards sin. Being dismissive towards sin. This is a sure sign of a hard heart, in fact. When I can just 
go walk boldly into that sin and I have this sort of I don't care spirit. I'm going to talk like this. I'm going to think like this. I'm going to act like this. I'm going to go here. And then we're just kind of like, yeah, whatever. I'm just going to go do this. It's a sign that our heart has become hard towards the things of God. Another one is false security. Throughout this whole story, Pharaoh thinks he's fine. He thinks he's in control. Even as the plagues come and they come one after another, Pharaoh's sure that he's okay. He's sure that he's got everything under control. He's sure that he's fine. He's going to be all right. Pharaoh thought he was totally fine. He had developed this false sense of security. I can continue to live my way and do my things and disregard the word of God and I'm going to be fine. Another sign of a hard heart is fear. Pharaoh didn't have an alternative for his slave labor. Remember, it was fear that caused him to issue the order to have baby boys put to death. You see, when we hunker down and we're trying to live apart from God, our heart is hardened towards the things of God, we're going to be living in fear because we're trying to live in our own. And, and that's, whether we realize it or not, that's, that's not firm ground. That, that, that's not a safe place. And so we're going to be constantly worried and anxious because we're trying to live like we're in control and we're not, that's a recipe for disaster. And then finally, being unmoved by the love of God. My brothers and sisters, this is a dangerous place to be. When we can read about God's gracious acts to His people, when we can sing some of the worship songs that we sing, and we're just like stones going through it, just like... All we can think about is what's for lunch or what we've got going on for the holiday this week. And we're just like, our heart's completely unmoved. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table at the end of our service here today. And sometimes we find our place, ourselves in a place where it's like, oh yeah, it's the first again. We've got we to do that. It's going to make the service a little longer, but we'll get through it. And it's like, all of a sudden, we're, like, we're getting a chance according to 1 Corinthians 10, to participate in the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ with God's people, a chance to just rejoice and reflect upon the, the greatness of Jesus Christ in his work upon the cross, his resurrection, and in bringing us to God and bringing us together as a body. And all we can do is check our watches or shrug it off like it's just a ritual. I just want you to know that if that's where your heart is this morning, that's a dangerous place to be. But I also want to say this. It's, it all is not lost. There's never any of us who are at a point where we, we're, we're too far from God. There's never a point where any of us have hardened our heart and say like, well, you know what, I, I, I'd like to be different. I'd like to change that. I don't want a hard heart towards God. And God's like, nah, that's, all, that's too bad. Sorry, you're stuck. He beckons us to come to Jesus and to have our hearts broken. I told you, crunchy cookies are bad. God wants you to take your heart and he wants you to dip it in milk so it's softened. There's a way for your heart to be softened, even if it's hard here this morning. Now hear me, don't, don't brush this off that 
Like, well, it is talking about Pharaoh, and I'm not like that. We already said, don't, don't go there. If you find yourself today, like, I had to drag myself here, or, or I don't feel like opening up the Bible I don't feel like talking to God. Like we, we all go through those times of dryness. But if we let those linger, we let those, those begin to expand in our life, we let that become the norm, we're developing a hard heart. And I think there are just three things I want to just mention here by way of remedy. That if that describes you this morning, the first thing that... I. I think is really important, it's actually essential, is that you repent. We need to repent of our pride. We need to repent of those things that have caused us to, to have that gulf between us and God. Where, where there is sin, where the Spirit of God has been convicting us, when we've been pushing it aside, ignoring it, we need to sit with that and say, God, forgive me. I'm a sinner who's in desperate need of your grace today. See, whether you're somebody who's already a Christian or whether you're somebody who has never had a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the remedy is still the same here. It's repentance. It's coming to Jesus and saying, I am in desperate need of forgiveness. I don't want my heart to be this way anymore. And I know that you're the only one who can change me from the inside out. I can't fix it. I need you, Jesus. It's the same remedy whether you've never known Jesus or you're, you've been hardening your heart as a Christian toward Jesus. And then the second thing is to not only repent of your pride, but then to turn to Christ, to gaze upon Christ. I love that phrase in Hebrews 12, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That, that needs to be our default setting is the gaze upon Christ. I love what John Bunyan says about this. He says, a hard heart is impenitent. And impenitent also makes the heart harder and harder. If you would be rid of a hard heart, that great enemy of growth, of the grace of fear, be much with Christ upon the cross in thy meditations. That's that's Puritan speak for think about Jesus and the cross a ton. Be much with Christ upon the cross in thy meditations, for that is an excellent remedy against the hardness of heart. A right sight of him as he hanged there for thy sins will dissolve thy heart into tears and make it soft and tender. The scriptures say... They shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn. Bunyan goes on to say, Now a soft and tender and broken heart is a fit place for the grace of God to thrive. What a beautiful word. A heart that is fixed upon Christ is a place where the grace of God thrives and draws us nearer and nearer into the heart of Jesus Christ. I want to close with this and invite you to just flip over to Hebrews chapter 3. Thirdly and finally, remember you need the body of Christ. You see, 
As we talk about hardness of heart, maybe you thought, okay, I can see where this has crept into my life, or I can see where I've allowed bitterness over this thing, or, or just infatuation with this particular idol in my life has hardened me to the things of God. And we can think, okay, I, I, just, I need to repent, and I need Jesus, and it can be easy to think that, like, I've got to fix this. Like, I've, I'm struggling here, and I just got to fix this. But when we read the New Testament, we never ever see that we're supposed to live the Christian life on our own. This is never meant to be done in isolation. It involves the body of Christ. And there's this great passage in Hebrews, and I invite you to read um, the context and read, read before and after this passage later on uh, to see what's going on here. But, but the writer of Hebrews is using the wilderness and we'll get to that later on, but he's using the wilderness time of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness as sort of a metaphor for our hearts. And he says in Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, he says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, he's quoting the Old Testament here, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me, they tried me, and they saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked to anger with that generation. And I said, they will always go astray in their hearts. And they have not known my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. So you hear the, the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't harden your hearts like those people. And then he quotes God speaking to the Israelites from the Old Testament. And now he, he comes back here out of his Old Testament quote. And he exhorts the Christians in his day with this, these words. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be any of you, in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. When we think about how to, how to break down an a hard and an unbelieving heart. We need to repent of our pride. We need to repent of the sin that the Spirit of God has revealed to us. We need to gaze upon Christ. But then we need to encourage each other. The writer of Hebrews, when he says, see to it that none of you is led away by this unbelieving heart, that none of you would be hardened by sin. He didn't say go to church more. He didn't say use your spiritual gifts more. He doesn't even here in this context say read your Bible and pray more, which is crucial. Notice the one remedy that he gave the believers here. Encourage one another. You see, because if, as, as a team, if we're walking in unity and we come alongside of each other and say, how are you doing in your walk with Christ this week, my sister? How, how, how is your heart with Jesus, my brother? And we get down below the surface greetings and the superficial answers. We can truly and genuinely build each other up in this. We can truly and genuinely encourage each other. Not superficial encouragement. Hey, great job for getting here two Sundays in a row. Excellent. That's awesome. It's great to see you. Not that kind of stuff. I like your new, your new shirt you got. 
you're wearing to church today. That's Okay, that's, that's nice. It might make us feel good about how we look or our, our punctuality at church or whatever. But that's not the kind of encouragement the author of Hebrews is talking about. He's talking in the, about the kind of encouragement that pulls us away from sin and hard-heartedness and draws us to Jesus. The kind of encouragement that, that pulls us out of ourself, in our, our self-pity, in our pride, in, in our idolatry. The kind of encouragement that says, hey, let's, Jesus is over here. Let's go to Jesus together. Let's turn away from this here and go this way towards Christ. And we can do that in an infinite number of ways. Sharing scripture with one another. Praying with one another. Asking those penetrating questions to get down below the surface. Confessing our own sins to one another. On and on and on we could go. The bottom line is, as we think about combating a temptation towards unbelief and hard-heartedness that can arise in our hearts towards God and towards His people and towards His Word, we need repentance. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus, and we need one another. May we not try to do this on our own. I love that today, and I didn't time this being a communion Sunday, but I'm so thankful that it lines up with what we're saying here. Because this morning, I, I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not trying to shame any of you because I have been, I have been here where I, like, I, I, I can think very clearly of times. It's like, oh, yeah, communion. Service should be getting out now, and we've got communion. Ah. I'm going to have a hard time making that reservation or whatever it is. We have the opportunity to gaze upon Jesus Christ together by partaking in the juice and the bread that lets us in, in this visible and tangible way take Christ in. We don't believe that it's the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ as part of our theology. But there is a very real sense in which we are symbolizing this picture of Jesus, I need you. Just like I need, I need food when I'm starving. Just like I need drink when I'm parched. I need you, Jesus. And I, I want to take you in just as you have taken me in. I want that nearness and that intimacy. That's the whole picture of communion. Is that I get to take in Jesus and I get to do it with all of you. We get to do this together. There's not one of us here today who doesn't need Jesus closer. But some of us here today are fighting a hard heart over something. And maybe we've been, maybe it's been a hard heart that's characterized our entire life. Jesus is calling you this morning to come and, and lay that down before him, to repent of that, to gaze upon him and take him to yourself and to do it here as the body of Christ. As we always do, I, I, just, I just want to remind you that um, we've, we've got two tables up here, and I know it'll take a little bit of time to get through the lines, but um, just, uh, just, just be patient. Um, they're, uh, they're over at this one here, it looks like. If you need gluten-free, there's, uh, there's some gluten-free crackers there that you can partake of. And, and there's also the baskets there that if you feel led to give, that goes towards our benevolence fund. Uh, to help those in our church family in need. I just want to make mention of those things. In just a moment, we're gonna, we're, I want to just give us some time to pray right where you are.
and, and have a chance to talk to God. And, and then um, in a moment, we'll, we'll, I'll pray, and, and you can just come on up out of your seats. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we want to invite you to partake in communion with us today. And take as long as you need. If you need to sit there for a while with it and talk to God, if, if He's convinced you of something, convicted you of something, don't just brush that aside. Listen to His Spirit. And there'll be some of us up here after the service is all over that would love to pray with you more if, if we can be of any help to your walk with Christ. May none of, none of us live with a hard heart before God. And we allow the Spirit of God to break through so that we can have this tenderness as we receive communion together today. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your spirit would soften our hearts today. God, I pray that your word would come alive and that your spirit would show us what hard-heartedness looks like. May we be able to see past the text that that it's not just about um, being unwilling to not let your people go. It's not just Pharaoh. God, we're all susceptible. We're all tempted at times to have a heart that's hard. I pray, Father, that anything the enemy's doing today to give us a blindness towards what that might be in our lives, that you would just remove that, whatever work he might be up to, and that you would reveal our, our sin just so clearly to us. May we see ways in which unbelief have crept in. May we see ways in which callousness or bitterness, unrealized hopes and dreams have have formed this, this barrier between us and you. And God, I pray that today Jesus Christ would, would break that down in our hearts, that we would humbly repent and come to Jesus. And we would remember that we can't do any of it on our own. As we turn to the bread and to the juice this morning, we're reminded of just how much we need to bring Christ to bear in our lives and in our hearts. May Jesus be infinitely valuable and precious to us today as we worship you. Father, I pray that if somebody here has never, ever experienced Jesus Christ in this way, in this way of, 
of turning from their sin and their hardness of heart and having forgiveness and being brought near by the blood of Christ, that today would be that day. We thank you, God, for the cross. We thank you for the resurrection. And we thank you for the abundant life that is found in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Please come. Temptation comes my way. When I cannot stand up for Jesus, you're my hope and stay. I cannot stand, but I cannot stand.
So teach my son, so teach my son to rise to you. When temptation comes my way, I cannot stand, when I cannot stand, I fall on you. Jesus, oh Jesus, you're my hope and stay. When I cannot stand, when I cannot stand, I fall on you. Yes, Lord. Oh, Jesus, you're my hope and stay. When I cannot stand, when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Oh, Lord. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Father, when we feel that separation, let us run to you. Thank you, Father. Now the God who is mighty, the Lamb who is worthy, and the Spirit who is near, fortify you to live faithfully in these days and all of the days until Jesus comes. Amen. Amen. Love you all.